This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 17th of May 2021. And since we were talking about the federal budget last week, Norman, there has been a lot of talk, not just on this podcast, but also in other media and in conversations that I've been having with people about Australia's border policy and the fact that at the moment we're living in this beautiful, almost completely COVID-free bubble, but it can't last forever. And just what it's going to take for us to transition back into being part of the broader world again. And maybe the sort of costs of that as well, because in reopening that, that has inherent risks built into it. Yes, so there's been a fair discussion over the weekend on this with a group of coalition MPs calling for reopening, talking about how this can't last forever. And Brett Sutton's being quoted as uh, in a qualified way saying that we've got to actually start discussing how we're going to open up and accept some more risk. And a really good piece uh, yesterday by Brendan Crabb and Michael Toole. From the Burnett Institute. In the Nine Media, uh, talking about just being careful about this. And these are two people who really know what they're talking about and have got pandemic experience. Look, here are the issues laid out. One is we will have to open up one day. We've been told since the beginning of this pandemic that really the only way out of it is, is a vaccine. We have a vaccine rollout at the moment which, according to probably the best available data, has us completely immunised by early 2023. Um, well, it's not completely immunised, but it's a, you know, a significant percentage of the population. Meanwhile, we keep hearing that we need to be vaccinating about 200,000 people a day to reach the end of the year. And obviously that target slips further and further away with every day that we're not meeting those targets. Yeah, it's just sitting there really hard to achieve when... Really, there's plenty of Astra vaccine around for people to have over 50, and they're getting organised with the under 50s. If you look at what Professors Crabbe and O'Toole talk about, really the criteria for opening up is a very high percentage of the population immunised. And most people say probably up at 80 or 90%. With the variant situation under control, so last week we spoke about the 617 Point 0.2 variant, well, point 0.1 and point 0.2, point 0.1s in Victoria, point 0.2 in New South Wales, and mostly point 0.2 in India. And the outbreak in Shangi, where several people have been infected who were immunised, fully immunised with the Pfizer vaccine. And we're going to see more of these vaccine variants emerge. And the question is whether that really threatens our ability to open up after being vaccinated. The other issue is that within that high immunisation rate, there's got to be a high immunisation rate of disadvantaged people. And if you rely solely on general practice to do that, it's not going to work because general practice is biased towards more advantaged areas. So there's got to be something in place to make sure um, disadvantaged people are covered. And then you've got to actually get hotel quarantine sorted out. We cannot go on like this. We've got a high rate of leaks from hotel quarantine. It's not been successful when the denominator is the number of people who've come in positive. We're getting leaks and we cannot rely on it. We've got to have an alternative and we've got to have it urgently. If we're going to be locked up, as somebody was now starting to say, as a fortress, we're nowhere near a fortress. 
if hotel quarantine continues to be as bad as it is. There is another thing that needs to shift though as well, and that's when we are fully vaccinated and we open up. At the moment, we have such a low level of virus in the community that we actually have it better than we are going to have it when we eventually open up again. And it's almost like we've got to get used to perhaps having a high level of COVID in Australia because the vaccines aren't 100% effective. We know that. And so we actually will have virus in Australia once we're fully vac- or vaccinated at that level that we're aspiring to. Yes. Well, this comes to the variants and how effective the vaccines are. So at the moment, the vaccines do seem effective at preventing severe disease. And so when you open up and COVID comes into the country, you'll get lots of people becoming mildly unwell, but very few people ending up in hospital. And that's where you want to be in many ways. We're never going to eliminate it altogether. What we've done very successfully is eliminate spread. And that's been a bit misrepresented over the weekend. If you go back to CoronaCast last year, it was all about elimination of spread, which was really resisted by the Commonwealth and eventually accepted, but really pushed by the states. So that's probably what we are going to have to sacrifice is elimination of spread if we are sure there are very few people in Australia who are actually going to get seriously ill as a result of that spread. And we don't say this to be a downer, but really it's about giving people a realistic idea of what to expect and also a reason to get vaccinated. Because at the moment, if it feels like the borders are going to be closed forever, there's no urgency to get out and get your vaccination. But if we can have that vaccine rollout going quickly, then the quicker we get to rejoin our friends and family and business uh, partners all over the world. Yes. And other countries such as the UK are seeing an uptick in their overseas students coming in. And we've largely lost that. And we could have had overseas students, particularly from China, coming in uh, from, for most of that year because it's a very low-risk country. And we've just not done that. Um, so there's lots of things that we're missing by not opening our borders. So when we're talking about the vaccine rollout, we know that the AstraZeneca vaccine has a, an interval between your first and second doses of about 12 weeks. And there's some research that's, well, it's not peer-reviewed yet, but there's some research that's circulating around saying that a longer dosage interval for Pfizer might also be beneficial for older people. Yes. Well, we really can't comment on that until we've seen the paper, but that's what, that's what's reported because Britain has been prolonging the gap between doses, not just of Astra, but of Pfizer as well. And um, I suspect there are some nervous people there in the UK worried that there um, might not be an effective immune response, but they're finding that that seems to be the case. So, So it's been reported particularly in elderly people. And on the AstraZeneca vaccine, Norman, we know that there looks like there's a link between this rare blood clotting syndrome and that particular vaccine. And there's been a few more cases reported in Australia, but interestingly, no deaths. No, and uh, it's uh, you know, again in the over 50s. And they say that there's three cases confirmed for likely at the time we we're discussing this um, against a background rate of about you know just under 2 million doses. So the frequency of this is probably increasing or settling in to a higher rate. So it's probably more common than one in 100,000 doses. However, what's also emerging is that there's a very broad syndrome. So what was initially described in Europe was really quite a severe syndrome with people with very serious clots with a high mortality rate. We've had one person dying in Australia, sadly, with complicated history with a 48-year-old woman in New South Wales. But we haven't had any further mortality, any further deaths. And it looks as though we're picking up really that a lot of people on the mild end of the scale. When I say a lot of people, it's still small numbers. And so this turns out to be not all severe, 
all worrying, but not all severe. So there's a way to go yet before this settles down to we know really how common it is and how severe it is. But the Australian experience so far is it's not as bad as we first thought. And the reason these people are all over 50 is because it's only people who are over 50 who are getting AstraZeneca now. That's right. They also reported six cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is um, a disorder where it's a, it, it behaves a bit like multiple sclerosis, except it's not, it's not multiple sclerosis. You just get uh, inflammation around the nerves, particularly the protective layer of the nerves, and you can get pain, muscle weakness, and so on kind of ascends through your body, you can't, in a sphere form, you can actually end up for a while on a ventilator. And most people recover, but it can take a while to do so. Guillain-Barre is a well-recognized side effect of vaccines, a a rare one, and it may not be specific to the COVID-19 vaccines, but they're watching that closely. These episodes are related to AstraZeneca, but like you say, it's something that I've definitely seen on warning labels of other vaccines I've had in the past. Yeah, it's just uh, one of those cross-reactions, which is indeed what the clotting problem is. It's cross-reaction between the vaccine and else, and, and, and the platelets in, cases, in the case of the clotting. And just a clarification on something that we were talking about l- late last week. We talked about the fact that the variant that's been identified in India, or one of the variants identified in India, might have a reproductive value or the number of people that I might infect if I was infected with that virus of up to eight, which is really, really high. And a couple of people queried us on that, Norman. So can you talk a little bit more about where that number came from and what your sources are, please? So this was speculation last week that this could be as high as eight. I noticed that the British government SAGE group, which is the scientific advisory group for emergencies for the British government, there's been emerging analysis on this over the weekend. So what they're saying is that the R0 is for B117, so that's the Kent Kent variant, is between 4.1 and 4.7. So that's the number of people without any immunization, without any control, you're likely to infect. When the Wuhan variant, or what's called the ancestral virus, is probably around 2.3, 2.4. So it's about double the ancestral virus. And there's been various modeling going on in the UK by various groups and it's estimated that the six, at this stage, in the current evidence, the 617.2 is around 40 to 50% more transmissible than B117. So that makes its R0 about 6 rather than what we were speculating on last week, which is 8. So I hope that clarifies it. Still a really high number, like a worryingly high. Correct. Well, that's all we've got time for today, but we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Bye. 